Hello and welcome to the Zemlins podcast. I'm Simon Carley and today I've got a special edition actually about things that are happening around the world and I'm delighted to be joined by a good friend of ours I've known for many many years, Anka Verma, who's joining us from Delhi in India. Anka, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Hi Simon and uh, thank, thank you for having me on St. Emlyn's. It's been a dream for me and I know this is not the right circumstance to come on St. Emlyn's. I mean it would have been better to come in happier times I guess. So I'm a senior consultant in uh, the Department of Emergency Medicine at one of the biggest tertiary care hospitals in India, in Delhi and uh, as the world knows we've been seeing uh, horrendous numbers of uh, COVID patients in the second wave so yeah so we're all stuck in the middle of that but thank you for having me i mean yeah just talk about it no it's an absolute delight to have you here and you're right we've we've done a lot of work um in the past around particularly around medical education um and i know you've got a very strong theme um in your practice about that but also you know a jobbing clinician working there on the shop floor and you're right about this time last year we did um a podcast um with colleagues in italy um, which really helped us understand in the uk what the experience of COVID was going to be like and helped us prepare. And the world has changed a lot since then. And we, we've, we've seen the uh, video, we've seen the reports coming out of India. And I thought it might be a useful time to try and understand a little bit more about what's happening with you and whether there's things that we can learn from what's going on there and whether or not there's anything else that we can do to, su- to, to support you and your colleagues. So just to start us off, do you want to um, give us a brief idea about well, we know that the, 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 there's another big wave in India. Um, it's been reported, but how how bad are things at the moment? Uh, so I think this started probably a couple of months back in, from Maharashtra, and uh, that's where I think the first variant, the Indian variant, was found. And uh, uh, the numbers weren't too high that time. It was just speaking uh, peaking in the state of Maharashtra, right? And uh, but over the next two months. <laughs> There were no lockdowns. Uh, people were still traveling. The, the flights were on. The trains were on. And it did spread to the rest of India. I remember in Delhi, we had a couple of cases which came. After a, after a massive lull in cases, we found a couple of cases coming in and they had you know, come back from Bombay. And, and we were like, probably this is going to hit us uh, hard because lots of people were, were traveling at that time. And everybody had come out of the lockdowns and people were going on vacations and stuff. So, yeah, but then it just it just exploded, it just exploded as in, I think there's not a single family I know or any of us know in India who hasn't lost someone to COVID now. That wasn't the case probably three months back. That's how bad it is right now that you will, whoever you talk to, they would know somebody who has uh, been lost to COVID in their family. So when so, you say yeah. it exploded, what sort of period of time are we talking about here from when, because there's been a background of COVID cases um, in India for quite a while, there's a background of COVID cases which are continuing along um, with us here, but numbers are low, but how quickly did it go from sort of fairly low numbers to, to, to accelerating? This was all over the month of April. I mean, uh, I I had a get together on, in, in March and we were all doing fine and then after after the the festival of Holi, uh, it just exploded, and I mean, it started off with like probably uh, you could say fifty, sixty thousand cases a day to like more than four lakhs in like three weeks. So that's quite exponential. So that's very similar to what was predicted would happen 
um, from the modeling i think in in a in a in a society which doesn't have lockdown rules that's the sort of thing which was predicted and i guess is what was prevented with the lock some of the lockdowns around the world have managed to prevent that sort of explosion but it gives it yeah. does give us an idea of 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 what could happen with this particular disease because of its because of its um r rate the reproduction rate as it's known yeah and yeah. um, in terms of the patients uh, the the Obviously, COVID can affect any age group, but predominantly in the UK, it was the elderly. It was it was more likely men. It was particularly um, uh, ethnic minorities um, or um, people of. Uh, um, I'll take that out. So it's predominantly older patients and patients from uh, black and minority ethnic backgrounds uh, more common in men um we saw a lot of people who were overweight who seem to be suffering with this more is that a similar sort of pattern that you're seeing in india at the moment no 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 this is i mean i've been calling it a genocide against the younger generation you know that's what covid's doing right now uh, a lot of uh, the population between the age of 18 to 45 they're the ones who are going into the really serious illnesses and not making it. You know, we've had a lot of deaths and most of those deaths that I've seen are in the younger age group, not, not in the older ones. Uh, the older ones are usually having a milder disease or you could say a moderate disease, but they come out of it. And most of them were also vaccinated uh, by the time this hit off. So uh, the vaccination for 18 above just started off uh, from the 1st of May. So I think this virus was quite smart to, you know, go for them yeah yeah that could be the case because one of the things we are seeing with patients who've been vaccinated is they can we we know that there's a failure rate with the various different vaccines so the pfizer is about 90 percent, so 10 percent failure rate um but when people do get that second um do get an infection on top of that it does seem to still be a milder one so affecting a younger age group is it a similar pattern of disease is it the covid pneumonitis that you're seeing and then the inflammatory response um about 10 to 14 days after their initial inf infection is that is yeah, that still yeah, the pattern yeah, yeah. that you're seeing yeah, so I mean, uh, you know, it's uh, for them, it's starting off uh, with a very mild illness. So just feel that, you know, it's just a small flu or something. And usually they don't tend to start off with the medications. Uh, and uh, and then suddenly we're seeing that, you know, the 10th day or the 11th day, uh, they just become happy hypoxic. I mean, everybody knows to check the saturations, right? So on the 10th or 11th day, they start uh, desatting. And, uh, and probably a couple of days after that, they become really, really dysnic. And uh, they do end up in the ICUs if they get one. And if they get one, indeed. Because, I mean, again, from a capacity point of view, we got pretty close in the UK um, at times in the first wave to certain some of the hospitals um, got very, very low on their oxygen supply. Um, and one of the things that we had to learn right at the beginning was the fact that I think it was one of the original questions is how many oxygen ports do you have in your hospital is one question. The second question is, how many of them can you run at this many liters per hour? We had to learn a whole new language and a whole new idea about this. And and clearly, looking at the the TV, the, the oxygen supply issue is 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 particularly pertinent to what's going on. That must be quite difficult to deal with. Oh yes, definitely. I mean, uh, a lot of patients actually require like you know five to ten liters uh, a minute and. And even that is quite a bit uh, for if we put everybody on, you know, the or the flow meters. So we've been trying to get in a lot of oxygen concentrators for them, which you know, which can supply for them. But then again, there is a shortage. A lot of uh, people have just bought it off the market and kept it at home. Also, I mean, a lot of people are trying to, you know, not go to the hospital instead, just stay at home and get get their oxygen, right? 
so that's happening. But uh, we've we've also had a lot of issues with oxygenation, uh, as in the oxygen supply. Sorry, mm-hmm. and uh, and it's it's going to happen. A lot of hospitals have sent out uh, SOSs uh, to the government, and uh, even the plants. You know, I mean, earlier I think we used to get an oxygen supply probably uh, once a month. Now we need it every day. And yeah. that's not just with my hospital, it'll be for, with, for all the hospitals. So even the guys who are supplying that are like totally, totally overwhelmed and can't, can't help it. No, it's tricky. And again, a question for you under these sort of very difficult circumstances. We, again, talked about it, but we never had to do it, about changing the oxygen target. So going through a process of oxygen rationing. And there were a number yeah. of things we did. Again, we had to learn... I had to, this is really bad, isn't it? I should have known this before, but you know, exactly what flow rates give you with the various different masks and to change the targets about what sort of oxygen levels we're going for. Um, again, is that, is that something that sort of rationing, not rationing. Yeah. So we're doing that. You could call it judicious use of oxygen. Oh yeah. That's a better word. That's a better word. So so, yeah, we're we're doing that. Uh, we're, we're targeting like 91, 92%. Uh, probably with the non-rebreather uh, nasal cannulas to start off with. And then those who have to end up on an NIV, then they will end up on an NIV. Yeah. So, but yeah, we're, we're, we're uh, targeting 91, 92%. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. And mask-wise, are you, obviously there's a different range of masks, but uh, yes, exactly. some are more wasteful than others, which I think is, is one of the other things which I had to learn at the beginning. So I, I guess you're using the, the, the best that you can to keep the, the flow rates as low as possible. As well as um, possible, yeah. yeah, that that must be that must be very tricky indeed. And and in fact, what we've seen on the on the news is that actually some patients can't actually access oxygen at all, and and where hospitals have been, unfortunately had to turn people away. Which, from a clinician yeah. point of view, and, and and I know you from the past, you're, you're a very compassionate man. Um, those it may not be you making that decision, but you know, being part of a system which is struggling must be quite difficult. It's heart wrenching. Uh, I mean. We were not born to do this. We did not train to do this, uh, you know, to send away patients. I mean, uh, I, we never thought this would happen. Everybody wants to work through a disaster because, you know, that's who we are. But then something like this, it was we were never prepared for it. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's it, it's not just them who are in despair, right? It's, it's us too. I mean, uh, I still get a lot of phone calls from a lot of relatives or friends and family and you know, friends of friends, family, mm-hmm. family, you know, the whole bunch just asking for uh, for a bed somewhere. And I just can't do anything. I don't even know how to get it, you know. Because no. no. I know all the hospitals are full. I'm like, I don't even know where to send them. It's it's, it's so weird. So it must be, I mean, it must be tough. It, although it is clearly very tough personally. And, and staff-wise, because obviously we, one of the great things about emergency medicine is our, is our team approach. But yeah. And certainly in COVID, there's a, there's a big load on the nursing staff as well as as the doctors, and also you know porters and cleaners and all of those sort of stuff as well. So, yeah, how how, does, how is that working out? Uh, so again, we've we've made we've made our teams, and uh, you know uh, we we don't force them into things, right? No. I mean, uh, if if you understand what I'm saying, uh, yeah. Uh, so you know, we we have rationed our nurses. Also, we have only the numbers that we have not going to go up right now. And uh, so we just tell them to take it easy. You know, you don't need to rush to every patient, you know, take your time, you know, breathe. 
and then do do stuff uh, and we don't impose too much on them and we keep counseling and keep uh, motivating them that's that's very important i guess no it is and i th- i really like your point about um slowing down um i think that's a theme that we've heard from you know great minds like um you know scott weingart often you know said slow is smooth yeah. smooth is fast well actually slow is safe under these circumstances yeah. and 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 that's Absolutely. a really important thing to say um, and also Simon Mardell, who we did some work with, um, who's a, an expert in infectious disease, done a lot of work with who he said exactly the same thing is that you, you can't rush under these circumstances. You have to go at the pace, which is safe and appropriate, because in the long run, that actually is a better approach. Um, and I, I completely get that. So tough, tough times and, and, and very, very difficult. Um, obviously, oxygen is the mainstay of, of what we're giving. And. Um, we know from things like the recovery trial that um, dexamethasone steroids uh, are good for yeah. those who are oxygen dependent. Um, are you using any of the other therapies like tocilizumab so, or anything like that? Yeah, so we were using that uh, a lot last year, and then we we felt it wasn't working that much. But I think I just I Lancet just uh, published a paper sometime this month only or last month from the recovery trial that uh, tocilizumab is. Uh, recommended for systemic inflammation when it happens in COVID. So probably we'll get back to using that again if, if it helps. We haven't seen, but I mean, when we were using it, first of all, it's a very expensive drug. Yeah. It's very difficult to find it in India, right? So uh, that's that's something of a concern. But we've been using a lot of uh, remdesivir and convalescent plasma, even IVIGs. Uh, and, and I've seen quite a few patients come out of the worst case scenarios. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm not sure that it's been studied properly, at least in India. I mean, there are a lot of worldwide studies. Even Mayo did a very huge trial on convalescent plasma, and they didn't find too much, uh, you know, too much of harm or benefit from that. I think. No, the um, the data on the convalescent plasma at the moment seems to suggest that it probably doesn't have as good effect as we'd hoped in the in the the, the UK studies, certainly. And then the um, the remdesivir may shorten your your duration, but probably doesn't have an effect on overall mortality. And we're we're still using remdesivir here in, in selected patients. We stopped we stopped using the convalescent plasma, but we're still doing the investigations on the monoclonal antibodies, which is kind of the same thing, same sort yeah. of idea, um, and. Uh, potentially that I, I've got an idea. I've got a feeling that that might make a difference um, because, well, for various reasons, I won't go into and today. Are you, are you using any other therapies? Because I know um, in the UK, we've been very restricted about we can only give therapies which have either been shown to demonstrate in clinical trials that they're effective or are part of a clinical trial. But I know that in India, you've got more or patients can have got more um say in their in their in their treatments in this regard similar to the us um, and things so have you seen other therapies used yeah, yeah. so uh, i mean a lot of patients with mild diseases mm-hmm. are just tired of uh, there was ivermectin so it's a very cheap drug right and it was used last year by a few clinicians and uh, they had very good results and so it's being used very rampantly for the mild uh, mild diseases that's ivermectin and doxycycline uh, along with your vitamin c and stuff and People have actually come out. Even I was on them when I had COVID, uh, and I guess it helped. <laughs> I came out of it. Yeah, just, I'm gonna. Put, I'll put my evidence-based medicine hat on and say, yeah, yeah. we need to see the data. We need to see the data. Absolutely. Um, I, the reason yeah. why I mentioned that, 
it's it's a really controversial um, area, actually, and certainly the ivermectin um, stuff has uh, has got you know many advocates around, um, but also a lot of skeptics. So it's really interesting to see, and it'd be great if we get some data out of um, of India on that. And um, how do you, where do you think this is going, Anka? Because obviously times are tough at the moment, but can you see where things are heading? So I think I I'm expecting another spike to happen uh, because the uh, the, the young adults are going to come out to get vaccinated and uh, they're going to come out in hordes, right? So, yeah. And uh, it's the, the second wave is still around. It's not it's not uh, peaked and falling down right now. So what I expect is that, you know, most of them would probably, you know, get infected after the first dose, probably get a mild disease. We're not sure. Mm-hmm. And then they'll get the second shot later. But I expect that spike to happen before everything starts to come down. But I think it's going to be here for the, another two or three months. Okay. Well, that's going to be a tough time. Unless, unless they absolutely lock down the country. I mean, uh, yeah. that's something I was for even last year. And uh, you, we have to break the chain no matter what. Yeah, but there's um, significant – I mean, it's always a diff- – it's a difficult one, isn't it? Um, the, there's always uh, economic impacts of, economic of lockdowns, impact, particularly yeah. in – from what I understand, particularly with the Indian economy and the way that it's um, structured – um, but I'm not an expert on that, so please don't quote me on that or, or come back on me. On um, <laughs> no, no, I always, I always say if you don't, have, if you don't have your population alive, what are you going to do with the economy? So that, that's exactly. that's what my that's a, that's a that's a very fair point. Um, it's a very fair point. So going forward, um, not out of the woods yet. Is is there anything we can do to support or help or um, or anything really? It's difficult because you know, we can't, if, if, can't travel. Yeah, you know, I mean, if we if we just I, I was thinking if we could just, you know, collaborate and share what the treatment protocols are in the UK and, you know, in India and the US, I'm pretty sure they're a little different uh, depending on yeah. the resources and the trials and the evidence base, right? I mean, the, over here, you, most of the drugs are o- over the counter. So once people got to know that dexamethasone is good for people requiring low flow oxygen also, mm-hmm. they were off the shelves. It just, it just took two nights to finish off dexamethasone in my city. From all the pharmacies, so loud. Wow. <laughs> so people started taking taking it themselves. Uh, but then uh, what I was saying, what I meant was, if we could just share what's happening in the UK, what, how they treat the mild ones, the moderate, and the severe ones, and what the protocols are. So, like over here, if we have like really severe cases, we've we've tried ulanostatin, uh, we've tried uh, this anti-cancer bevacizumab. Uh, that's also shown some uh, good results in a couple of studies. Yeah. Uh, not, not, not in RCT, but uh, so so we, we're, we're trying out everything possible that can happen. Uh, immunoglobulins also has apparently helped quite a few patients. So, you know, if, if that's that's one thing that can come out as to what are you guys doing in the UK? What, what are people doing in the US? You know, just share that knowledge and probably we'll have better outcomes for our patients. Well, we can certainly do our very best to share that. We'll put, um, well, can, we've done quite a bit of stuff on COVID nineteen on the the blog, as you know. Um, yeah, one of my colleagues has actually um, offered to do uh, one on specifically on oxygen conservation. So okay, I yeah, think that that, that might be a good one um, to put together and, and hopefully share out because it, again, it's it's an area where I had to learn quite quickly at the beginning, and it, it's something we assume we know, but don't necessarily have that. Yeah. You know that that in depth knowledge where you know every lead counts, so to speak. Um, okay, um, that's really helpful. Um, you know, I, I 
I, I do value absolutely what you're doing there at the moment. It must be incredibly tough. And I think going forward, it sounds as if you're going to continue to have to make difficult decisions and difficult triage decisions and, and difficult yeah. treatment decisions with the patients. And I don't think anybody who's listening to this podcast envies you or any of your colleagues in doing so. Um, but I'm sure that in true sort of major incident style, you'll continue to do the best for the most um, and to, to manage the population as best we can. Um, we will continue to do what we can here to sort of improve the, the research base, improve the sharing of knowledge and, and make it all, of course, free, open access medical education. Yeah, yeah. Um, we we do just, follow the recovery trial also. Yeah, I mean, so. yeah it's, it's been fantastic. Um, I've been lucky enough to be involved and it's it's been a highlight of my research career, to be honest, even though I'm taking a, a very small part of it. I think it's it's probably more impactful than anything else I've done. Um, Anko, we look forward to a time when we're not doing this on the other side of the planet and we can Absolutely. meet up again and, and have a good time. Um, and hopefully that isn't a million miles away. Hopefully that day will come soon, but between now and Truly, then, yeah. yeah, thanks so much for your time and uh, everything that you're doing. Absolutely. It's been a pleasure.